our podcast this week, we're in the good place, the Matthew good place, as he and Teresa Palmer come in to talk about Skies and Discovery of Witches. All that plus usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast has been listening over time to Eminem's James, we were meant to come in there. Oh, sorry, with my and it's awful. We went to a screening last night at seven, 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 seven. Yes, we did indeed. It sounds like it sounds like Terence from Iron Man Three. It's so bad. It is. I just so we heard this for the first time in the office yesterday. Just put it on. I'd heard it before. Well, I hadn't, and and the rest of the day was spent just finding words that we could crowbar into this and just repeating them. Yeah. Ad nauseum. Yeah. My favourite bit not is Not a lot when... rhymes with venom. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> as Eminem found out to his cost. <laughs> yes. My favourite bit is when he somehow manages to get the word symbiote in the middle of a verse oh, and it boy. stands out like a sore thumb. It's not a smooth... Sore thumb, sore thumb, sore thumb, sore thumb, There yeah. we go. It's, it's appalling and I'm sure not in any way indicative of the quality of the movie. <laughs> which we haven't seen. I should point that out. We have not seen... Venom. Venom, venom, venom. Will we see it next week? Uh, yeah, I'm not going, but sure. Are you not going to go? No, I can't make it. Uh, yeah, well, I'm going to be away. To, and you'll I'm, have to tell I'm me devastated. how it goes. You're going to be away? I'm going to be away. I'm devastated. I'm going to the Zurich Film Festival. Ben, let's have a mandate. Yeah, you and I will be like a host and a symbiote. <laughs> <laughs> Along for the ride. Uh, yes, one of us will affix themselves to the other. Yeah. And uh, anyway, let's move Actually, on. Actually, I can't go anymore. Um, uh, I will shame. not be attending this. Like a turd <laughs> blowing in the wind. <laughs> Hello, Pod. Yes. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. Anarchy has already <laughs> taken hold. Uh, this week, as ever, I'm joined by... Well, not as ever, because there's been times when we haven't been joined by three colleagues of such lethal cunning. But today, we are joined by three colleagues of such lethal cunning, as you have already heard. You've heard them all. Uh, we have James Dyer. Uh, I'm giving you a big introduction for once. Hello. 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 Yeah. Hello. <laughs> My big introduction was just saying your name, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's fine. frankly, I'll take it. It's an improvement over the last ten or so podcasts. So. Yeah, thanks. That's very well. I feel special. Well, my eyes are lighted on you first. Yeah, that was anyway. Anyway, uh, how are you? Good. I am fine, thank you. You've just yes. been telling us that you, if you were to ever write a memoir, that it would be called "Shit Show at the Fuck Factory." <laughs> <laughs> which is the only good thing I took away from watching Succession, the TV show, because it is the name of one of the episodes. But I was very taken with it. Oh, you don't like Succession, the I don't. I'm show. the only one who doesn't like it. Apparently, it's a really good show, except I hated it, because <laughs> everyone in it is a world-class, epic-level bellend. And I just... It I just reminds you of the office. It just reminded me too much of coming to work, frankly. I mean, it just wasn't dissimilar. Uh, no, okay. I, just, I just hated everyone in it. Re- like, really properly hated them. And therefore could not get on with it. So I watched five hours of it, you know, just to touch, to tip my toe in the water. Yeah. And then decided I would rather not. I'm in the minority, though. Everyone else likes it. We talked about it on the Pilot TV podcast this week as well. Yeah, I'm cutting a bit. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I, I, for some reason it just it just doesn't work. But then I didn't like Mad Men either for a similar reason because I hated everyone in that too. Also, it's really boring and all they do is smoke and drink whiskey and it's just fucking tedious. But um, you know, they dress well. <laughs> wow, glad I asked. Speaking of world class ends, it's a man with the softest hands in showbiz, Travis Fickle himself. Benny Boy Travis, how are you? <laughs> I'm fine, thanks. I'm startled at the amount of uh, nicknames that are rolling up here. <laughs> <laughs> you may have more nicknames per square inch than mm-hmm. anyone else in, in, well, the universe. Yeah, it seems to be accumulating with every week, so... Yeah. Uh, Travel later. Yeah. There we go, there's another one. I always really wanted to go on the Travelator from the end of Gladiators. 
yes. I just, is that the one that Russell Crowe does at the very end when he's battling <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Phoenix? Yeah, when he shouts that you're not entertained and then he runs up the travel agent. He's bloody good as ready! <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, it's good good to know that you're here. That's and, and alive, which is which yes. is great. Uh, you've made it through another week, despite your yeah. assassins. <laughs> yes. I, I maintain my rule on not having dead people on the podcast. Sorry, but them's know. the breaks. No, nope. no dead, no undead, only alive people. I'm bringing in a Ouija board. I can't see you, Helen. There's a massive speaker in the way. Yes, yeah, that's not James. Who means either. <laughs> yeah. He's literally a speaker. No, genuinely, I'm going to move so I can see all three of you. And last but not least, you've already heard her although not at as much length as James. <laughs> it is, of course, our geek queen, Helen O'Hara, a Hamilton superfan who most recently found herself in the same room mm-hmm. as Linny Manny. Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yes, I did. Tell people about I this. I had a very on-brand weekend the other weekend and I went to see <laughs> Heather's The Musical mm. um, and it turned out to be the opening, or the, the official opening night. Uh, so it was premiere. So Lin-Manuel Miranda was there. Photographed there. I don't know if he stayed for the show. I'm assuming he did. Was he involved in the show or just a fan? No, he was just a fan. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and then the following night, I went to see the final night of Spamilton, which was the oh Hamilton. final night. Yeah, it's oh, closed now. I'm afraid uh, it was the Hamilton kind of spoof by the writers of Forbidden Broadway. But really, it was a spoof on the whole of Broadway and not just Hamilton music. Uh, music. So it was wonderful. Wow. So yes, extremely on brand. Um, and I now have, uh, fr- thanks to Spamilton, uh, a ten dollar bill with Lin Manuel Miranda's face on it amazing yeah <laughs> i believe that's legal tender <laughs> i believe it is i believe it's worth more than ten dollars also so that's exciting so yeah it was it's good and then last night i saw kylie which was weird but you good. know exciting yeah. yeah what like in nando's or no like in concert ah yeah did she sing like all her hits yes okay. yes she did but she also sang lots of stuff from the new album which oh is nobody wants that. did she apologize for that because yeah. it's not good no um, but yeah. no, you just don't want that do you when you're going to see when you see an artist uh, is the album out uh, yes, it's been out for like a year, I believe, okay, like so, months and months. So people will have had people time have to connect had, with yeah, the songs. People, were, people did seem to be pleased about them. Okay. I didn't know them. Some of them were very nice, though. Mm. Um, oh, that's uh, nice. It was a bit country, but in, I, I quite like that's a bit of country That's very sometimes. rude, Helen. She's lovely. C- C-O-U-N-T, James. Oh, I see. That's exciting. Well done. Yeah. Did she did she play some kind of bliss? The song that she uh, that uh, that was written for her by the Manic Street Preachers. No, she did not. She did sing a little tiny bit of uh, was it Wild Rose, the one she did with Nick Cave. Mm. Um, so that was kind of fun, and um, and she did the locomotion. Of course, she did. Yeah. Did you do did the locomotion? A, uh, I don't really know the locomotion. Well, moves. I mean, you just grab the person next to you and form a human not centipede. not in this current climate. You don't. <laughs> No, we don't do that sort of thing. No, no human centipedes at concerts. No, or indeed anywhere. Uh, I <laughs> yes, think that's I would. Yeah, absolutely. Generally frowned upon. Really? That's another rule, along with the no undead people in the booth. <laughs> no <laughs> human centipedes on the podcast. Yeah. Yes. Helen put her foot down about that very early on in the. Uh, and and frankly, it was difficult to record a podcast as a human centipede. The, uh, I mean, the the, the mic sound, logistics, the sound quality was muffled. It's <laughs> <laughs> really only the person at the front gets to talk. Anywho, uh, hey Helen, I've just been thinking, you've got that $10 Lin Mamel Miranda thing. I do. If you have another 99 of those, you'll have a Hamel ton. I mean, you can keep dancing, but we're not going to be impressed. I mean, it, it, also, it, it's radio. Oh, yeah. So true. <laughs> Should we have a question? Oh, let's. 45 minutes into this podcast. How, did you pre-warn us of the question? 
Yes, I did. Oh, okay. And the right. email well, this, I sent around. Then every this will Monday. be a surprise for me because I didn't read it. Carry on. How did you know to come here then? I mean, you I, must have read it. I probably did the, the classic thing that one does when reading things, where you read the first sentence, glean the important information, and then tune out and do something else. Are you like the zombies in Dawn of the Dead, that you just you gravitate here at a certain time on a certain day, because <laughs> that's the time we tend to record? I thought you were going to say they have short attention spans and never get past the first paragraph. Mm. No, zombies Well, at least read. you opened the email. They never used to eat open emails. This is true. This point. is true. We, we, we have... Oh, well, okay, this is awkward. <laughs> uh, the, question, the question is from at Tully underscore Oz, A-U-S... And yes, a quick glance at their Twitter bio uh, confirms that they are indeed from Sydney. So hence the the Oz Tully from Australia. Well done. Dear Empire Podcast team, (laughs) with more Harry Potter universe coming along soon, we'll be talking about that later on. That's me, not him. Which films and characters from the original series are your favourites? I'd love to hear a mini spoiler special on your thoughts on the eight films. Wreck off, you dag, is what he says. That's really rude at the end. It's <laughs> a so hate crime is what that is. So, so strange. And I don't mean what he said. Oh, uh, oh you mean me? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, I thought it was... Dear Australia, was... on behalf of the Empire Podcast, <laughs> we would like to apologise. That was a top-class Australian accent, as in it took in all of Australia. And surrounding countries. And by surrounding countries, I mean the world. It was a lot like having Brian Brown here among us. Brian Brown? Who is, I believe, the Prime Minister of Australia. He is, yes, that's right. That's that's actually true. And Paul Hogan is the president. That would be amazing. They don't have a president. Shh. Yes, they do, and it's, it's President he Paul He was in Hogan. Crocodile Dundee, Helen. Don't be disrespectful. I'm yes. sorry. He made a speech this week, President Paul Hogan, uh, to the United Nations, and uh, <laughs> he went, my administration has... Uh, Achieve more, more. <laughs> and almost all ministrations put together. And people were laughing. It was a lot of fun. Lot but they, of fun. Were, they were laughing with him. He's been very <laughs> clear yeah, on that, Chris. He went, that's not administration. That's an administration. Because he... <laughs> anyway, of, yeah. so the question comes from Tully. Uh, with more Harry Potter universe coming along soon, which films and characters from the original series are your favourites? And when I sent round this email at the beginning mm. of the week, James gave it the most cursory read, uh, <laughs> glance over... Helen, I don't think you read it. I did read it. Um, I didn't reply to that bit. Is it true that you print off all my emails about the podcast and wallpaper your flat with them? Yes. Okay. Yes, that's very, very true. So Helen was very excited about that. And Ben here, mm-hmm. the Travelodge, he was so excited about this because, Ben, mm-hmm. it's fair to say you're probably the biggest Harry Potter fan. Mm-hmm. What he, are, he's the one who looks most like Harry Potter question, in the room. Question, point of order. What do you call Potter fans? Are you potheads? What's the thing? I think it's Potterites, isn't it? Is it? it? Is it? Isn't it? Potterites? I do not know. That doesn't sound right. Because it's an entire generation. They don't have a a name. You just call us millennials. Yeah. Yeah, To be honest. Um, Children. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, basically. If you grew up in the 90s as a uh, small white boy with round glasses, uh, it was impossible (laughs) not to be into Harry Potter. You are a dyed-in-the-wool Hufflepuff. He was was held down every morning and a a red uh, lightning bolt was Mm -hmm. chalked on his forehead. Although, do you know, actually, uh, I've got a picture of me. uh, When I was in year six at school, at primary school, we had like a Harry Potter day. I dressed up as Dumbledore. I've got a picture of me (laughs) as a a 10-year-old... With a big, like, fake beard on a big robe. Wow. My mate Jack Gelsop, who I don't know if he listens to this, but if he is, he was Ron. He had a jumper with a big R on it. Uh, (laughs) It was was a glorious day. Wow. Wow. And this is three years ago. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, three whole years ago. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was in uh, I was in Florida the other week, and I walked past someone at Universal Studios wearing a T-shirt that said "Gryffindor on the streets, Slytherin in the sheets." Oh, <laughs> oh no! And I went home and had a shower. 
that's the right response. Yes, it was disgusting. When I um, when I was at Universal Hollywood last year, it was uh, forty degrees. It was like crazy hot. There was a, like a wildfire in California because it was so hot. And still in the Hogsmeade bit of the of the theme park, there was somebody in an entire school mm-hmm. uniform, like shirt, tie, jumper, robe. I was there just in a t-shirt, like absolutely drenched. And this maybe person, they were insulated from the heat, though. Maybe they knew some kind of magic because whatever. It must be. That, yeah, a lot insane. of the performance there are, are quite layered. So if Ben's a Hufflepuff, yeah. you're a hundred percent Slytherin. Like you can't be Slytherin. That. No, you're, you're, like, you could not be more Slytherin. Like, <laughs> the sorting hat barely touches his head and just, it screams. I think this is—you've besmirched my good name. No, I don't think I have. Really? And I think actually Chris would be in there with you, if I'm honest. What? Yeah, I think so. See, you think you're a Gryffindor, okay. but you're no, a Ravenclaw. I'm, I know I'm yeah. a Ravenclaw. Okay. Hang on a second here. Hang on a second here. Yeah. Sure, you're working out. <laughs> um, Him? Yes. <laughs> what? <laughs> Slytherin all day long and twice on Sundays. Mm-hmm. Slytherin, by the way, also, I, I imagine, describes James's lovemaking technique. But <laughs> oh, God. oh, God. And that's why you're in Slytherin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to be fair. Or that's, that's, no, no, no. QED, Your Honour, QED. Hufflepuff describes my lovemaking technique. <laughs> so I think that's where I should be. I don't want to know what Ravenclaw does. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> Wow, we've just ruined oh, Harry Potter for a whole generation. <laughs> Thanks, well, everyone. Yeah. Anyway, should we anyway, work it out? Why, why, why am I in Slytherin? Um, Slytherin are the are the strivers, the ambitious ones. It's you. <laughs> <laughs> How am I ambitious? Well, I've, I've, my career has atrophied over the last <laughs> seventeen years. I've seen almost everybody I've worked with at Empire go on to bigger and better things, and I've just sat in a rut. <laughs> You know, I get to do a podcast. That's kind of yeah, fun. Yeah, you get to do exciting things. You, like, host things and go yeah. and do things and talk to people. And Yeah, I suppose. But that doesn't make me a Slytherin. That you makes can me be a um, Hufflepuff if you want. I, what is, so, okay, I, I love the Harry Potter books. And I've seen Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. And I loved it. But I have, I, I have a complicated relationship with the films. So I've kind of fallen out of my Harry Potter fandom a little bit. Remind me again of the characteristics of a Hufflepuff. Uh, a bit... Tim, Tim, nice but dim. Yeah, that's absolutely me. Yeah, they're kind. I think that's oh, the, the one word. Like, yeah. they're just yeah. Their symbol is the badger. <laughs> that pretty much sums them up. I like. Actually, okay. badgers are vicious little fuckers. You there, want to be careful. There is a there is a great post once I saw on somewhere probably Pinterest going, which is the, the finders of Hogwarts talking, and they go right. So we're agreed. There are four different t- basic types of children: smart. Brave, evil, and duffers, <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of the houses. All right, okay. So you're smart. Thanks. Uh, James is evil. I think yep. we're, we're all agreed. I think we're all that. agreed. That leaves brave and duffers, Ben. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to go Duffers. Uh, like, I have a deep and abiding love for the rules. And as a Gryffindor, you can't, you can't follow the rules. So I think I'm just Hufflepuff by, by default, I'd say. And that makes me brave. Does yeah, it though? there we go. <laughs> we, we are the founders of the Empire Podcast Wizarding School. Yeah, this mm. is true. All right, so, anyway, so the, to the, the question. question. <laughs> <laughs> Which films and characters from the original series are your favourites? Okay, so film-wise, uh, obviously... Prisoner of Azkaban, uh, or actually, and this might be controversial, I really like Order of the Phoenix. I do not like it as a book. I think it's a rubbish book by the standards by the standards of the series. Yes, but. I think it's one of the best films. I really, really enjoyed it. I think it's a great book. You're There's wrong. loads of characterization in it, but I think the film you feel 
that there's much less cut out of it because so much of the book is kind of what's happening with Harry internally that in terms of pure plot, it can whip through. It's one of the shortest films. It's like mm. just over two hours, which by Harry Potter standards is relatively lean, that it can kind of cut through that storyline without having to excise that much stuff. You don't feel some of the films as much as I love them, feel quite choppy and they jump from bit to bit because they just have to get through the stuff they need to get through. Whereas I think you feel that quite a lot less with Order of the Phoenix. Order of the Phoenix I read in a caravan in Devon and it's the first book in which I felt my life was more exciting than Harry's. Uh, It is essentially a metaphor for the cost of London real estate and how you can't actually fit a terraced house onto a road. And yeah, as Helen says, it's it's very dull. But the film is a lot better. The film is a lot better. Oh, also, Order of the Phoenix has the best wizard duel in the entire series. The Dumbledore versus Voldemort in the uh, Ministry of Magic, Magic at the yeah, end is cool. incredible. And it like visually is so different to all the other mm. jewels in the series. It's quite a lot more visually kind of interesting. You've got that moment where uh, Dumbledore gets conjures all the water out of the fountain and yeah. it's holding Voldemort in the big really cool. thing of water. And yeah, it's and, great. And it doesn't mess up Bellatrix Lestrange, which I think the final film does. M- one of my big bugbearers with the final film is that it, it loses the uh, Mrs. Weasley... Bellatrix fight. It doesn't give that the impact it deserves Mm -hmm. because that should be just punching the air good and it really wasn't so yeah f- I really like five but but honestly like Prisoner of Azkaban is actually probably the best of the series that's interesting um, yeah although I would say I really really like Prisoner of Azkaban and it rightly gets its due um, for me there's a few like stylistic moments in it that have aged quite badly there's a few like really I'm not a big fan of the night bus sequence and there's a really oh, yeah. really weird final shot where Harry's just got his firebolt broom and he's like fly is this like big triumphant moment where he's flying it over the lake and then it ends on like a really blurry screenshot of his face kind of going kind of as he's like <laughs> freeze frame what, is what we could, it's, it's, a freeze frame but it's not like a, a still freeze frame there's right. like weird like motion around it it looks like he's kind of stretching out of the frame and it's such a weird note to end on it's a very very strange final shot um, but it, you, then you get good credits where it's like the Marauder's mm, Map yes with the sneaky sex feet in there have you seen the sneaky <laughs> sex feet I'm sorry the sneaky sex feet so the, obviously the way they visualise the Marauder's Map they sh- uh, in the film they show footsteps. the footsteps of the mm. people and somebody, I believe again on Reddit, found a bit where in the corner of a room, so that, yeah, the credits, the end credits are like the Marauder's Map, and there's a pair of feet kind of standing slightly outwards, and then a f- pair of feet standing the opposite way in the middle of them. I see, sex So feet. somebody's having sneaky Hogwarts sex. sex. That sort of thing doesn't happen in Hogwarts. Well, I mean, we didn't say it was a student. Unless, of course, you're in the room of requirement. Mm, oh, requiring a big old bed. Oh, yeah. Jimbo? Oh, God. Do you know what? It's very hard for me to say. I've read all the books once, and I've seen all the films once, and it all kind of blurs together a little bit. I remember enjoying Azkaban a lot more than I enjoyed the first two. So I'm going to go with that film-wise. In terms of character, who do I like? I mean, Arpats was rubbish, wasn't he? I can't really pick him. Um, He's barely in it. I'll tell you who I like, though, is, um, is Cedric Diggory's dad. He's only got a, mm. one scene, but he sells that entire character. He's he's wonderful. It's scream. I've decided. Oh god, it's, it's Lucius Malfoy. Oh, of course god. it is, because yeah. <laughs> he's awesome. He is awesome. Yeah, yeah. I love Lucius. I mean, Malfoy. that's that's the wrong answer, though, isn't it? Like, let's be honest. Character-wise, like it's, it? it's one of the it's one of the teachers. Mad Eye Moody. Mad I know Eye he's Moody technically not himself for pretty much all of Goblet of Fire, but that character he's fantastic. He's Snape, so great. Snape, 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 always Snape. Snape. The way that Snape says, <laughs> "Turn to page three hundred and ninety-four alone," and I'm not kidding, genuinely makes him the best character in the franchise. Mm, students and Hufflepuffs. Students and Hufflepuffs. Potter. Potter. <laughs> Potter.
Clean. <laughs> Mr. Potter. Mr. Potter. Um, Give um, me my Persian bottles. So where the James protested vehemently being placed in Slytherin. <laughs> and the two characters he chooses are Lucius Malfoy and Severus Snape. So yeah. that's, that's interesting. Uh, Character-wise, no one's gone for any of the, the big three. No. That's interesting. I think they all need each other. I think alone... Mm. They're great as a combination because you've got Harry is the tortured hero. You've got Hermione who's smart and brings the heart and brings them all together. Ron brings the laughs, but individually, I don't know. No, they Hermione don't is objectively well. the best of the three. Yeah, Hermione is definitely yeah, the best. Without of the three. a shadow of a doubt. Because yeah. she's the only one with even a shred of competence. <laughs> she has a lot of competence. She has, yeah. She's yeah. extremely competent. The other two are fuckwits. There's also... Um, <laughs> my sister owns a t-shirt, which is one of my favourite t-shirts in the world, and it says, Neville would have done it in four books. So I'd like, to, I'd like to put in a word for Neville. Neville would have done it in four books. The ultimate glow-up. Neville <laughs> yeah. in across the entire film series. Maybe it was Neville who was on the, uh, the, the sex feed. <gasps> yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, Neville. I wouldn't put it past yeah. him. Really long bottom. Dark horse that one. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Don't know what that means. What about Lupin? You're a wizard, Harry. Oh, love yeah, Lupin's you're great. When you're a wizard, Harry. Anybody whose um, reaction to somebody like having basically a sort of traumatic fit and fainting, and then just being just giving them chocolate, I relate yeah, to that. Yeah, <laughs> You know how he became a werewolf, don't you? A terrible experiment. <laughs> well, also his name is Remus Lupin, which basically means wolf, wolf. <laughs> Yeah. Similarly, that's not determinism, isn't it? <laughs> Sirius Black means black dog or dog black. Yeah. He turns into a black dog. I mean, come on, people. Yeah. Not one for subtlety. Mm. Yeah. Okay. But uh, exciting stuff. I have a controversial viewpoint in this one. Mm-hmm. I think there are only two good Harry Potter films, and those are three and four Prisoner of Azkaban and Goblet of Fire. I think the first two, Chris Columbus gets a lot of praise for setting up the world and setting up the uh, you know yeah. the characters, especially from the other Harry Potter directors, actually. Yeah, but they're dreadful films. <laughs> See, I kind of feel the opposite because I feel the first two are, are genuinely, generally quite maligned. That people say, "Oh, they're just like that's because they're bad films." Then. No, I think <laughs> he's they're, not they're wrong. Really charming. Mm. They're really they're not charming. charming. There's they're... a lot of charm in them, but they are plodding. Also, yeah. and much as they have improved. The, the, the three leads are not great in those first films. Yeah, but there's no, 11. Like, you're but that's what I'm saying. That's the way to talk about Alan Rickman, Maggie Smith and <laughs> I mean, Richard Harris. You know, Alan, it, took, it took Alan a while to get into his grooves. So. <laughs> they're, they're less self-conscious at that age, though. There's some of the later films, Six, Half-Blood Prince. When they're a bit older in their teenagers, they start to get more self-conscious about what their performances are, whereas as the kids, they just kind of say the lines with... Nice smiles on their faces. <laughs> but as you were saying, Goblet of Fire is the most exciting one because it's just built around these massive set pieces. You've yeah. got, like, the structure of it is these three huge set pieces and then the, like, big changing point of the entire series, the graveyard sequence where, mm. where Voldemort comes back um, is really is really good. It's phenomenal, yeah. Yeah, I think... Uh, but, yeah, three and four for me are the ones where those kids actually start acting. Alfonso Cuaron is a brilliant director and that's, you know, he brings a lot of, of flair and heart to that one. Got them out of their uniforms. Mm. That was good. Uh, Mike Newell handled four, I thought, uh, admirably. He's the only one of the directors who I think went to public school, or certainly at that point he's yes. the only one. And I think it kind of shows he, he gets the school element more than maybe anybody else had. Having been to Hogwarts. Essentially. Yeah. Mm. But then for me, and I know Helen loved Order of the Phoenix, for me, that's where it fell apart. I am not a fan of David Yates as a director, and I feel that the last four movies are a bit of a plotty mishmash, to be honest. And don't really get close to capturing. And this is one of the things I think that, that Potter mo- the Potter movies generally lack, is a real sense of magic. 
I mean, I think that's the thing that David Yates does, whether you, whether you like that or not. One of the things that I like about his films is that, um, starting with Order of the Phoenix, that's the moment. The first four films are, are it's magic and it's Hogwarts and it's um, Harry, who's grown up in the Muggle world, and then going to this other magical place. And then from Order of the Phoenix, David Yates kind of brings a sense of the real world back in. You've got that shot of Harry and, and the Order flying across the Thames against the Houses of Parliament. And he does that in each of his films. You've got at the start of uh, Halford Prince, the uh, Death Eater attack on the Millennium Bridge. And then obviously pretty much all of Deathly Hallows Part 1, where it's them kind of out in the real world, away from the shelter of Hogwarts. I think he does a good job of taking what we've seen, the magical side of of the world, and then kind of mashing it up side by side with the real world. Mm-hmm. But um, but they do feel less magical and more dour and dark, and visually very dark as well. Actually, I had to turn the contrast up on my TV. Murky is <laughs> That's the word I watched them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but hey, listen. You know, I'm probably having people yelling at the uh, podcast app uh, right now, and I'm, com- I'm I stand alone. I'm an island in the, in this room. So Helen's going number three. Yeah, not, not kind of five, three. Uh, ben <laughs> probably five, but I think one and two Idiot. and seven are underrated. You duffer, get in the. <laughs> that's why I'm a duffer. Yeah, that's why you're here. Yeah. Uh, Jimbo three. Okay, and three as well. Three has it, and then character, I mean, I know we've all said people, we haven't really discussed Dumbledore, uh, but it's got to be Dobby, hasn't it? It's got no. to be, it's got no. to be Dobby. No, it absolutely no. doesn't. Dobby's so overrated. Hedwig's death is so much sadder than Dobby's oh, in Deathly Hallows Part 1, and it gets none of the attention, and I'm very aggrieved about this mm. to this day. Hedwig's death is so sad. We also See. haven't talked about Hagrid. Hagrid's great. Oh, oh, Hagrid's everyone rubbish. quotes Dobby, but ultimately, Creature said nothing. Mm. Again, this is why you're a Slytherin. <laughs> you're, you're like wow. the, the horrible house elf that insults everyone. <laughs> I mean... There has never been a better description of James. I'm, so I'm the horrible house elf. <laughs> Fucking give you a sock. Jesus Christ. On that bombshell, if you want to have your question read out in the Emperor podcast and treat it with the respect it deserves, just as Tully at underscore Oz did, uh, much to his cost, I think... President Hogan is probably declaring war on us even even now. Send in your questions. Uh, we're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast or chances are we won't see it. Uh, we're also on Facebook as Empire Magazine. And you can email us also. We're podcast at empireonline.com. Should we dive straight into the movie news? We yes. should probably start with the, the cavalcade of trailers. Is it the Henry Cavalcade of Trevor? <laughs> Indeed. Every single one of them? We yeah, did, by the right. way, miss out Mary Poppins Returns last week, so we yes. should give that a quick mention. Someone Sorry, was everybody. not happy about that. I, I don't know So many was. people have complained to me and, and questioned my Lin-Manuel Miranda fangirlness. <sighs> I thought you were just trying to avoid his terrible accent. Uh, discussion of it. I have chosen Kidding. to believe... Right, Mary Poppins! I have chosen to believe that any terribleness that may be in his accent, which I do not admit, is merely a <laughs> an homage... Um, to the original terrible accent. Yes, that we are living. Mary Poppins takes place in a terrible accent-filled world. Indeed. Yes. Yes. Apparently, um, according to Twitter, Bette Midler has seen Mary yes, Poppins Returns and said that Lin Manuel was very good. And who are we to disagree who, with? Bette who Midler? would disagree? With Bette Midler. Yes, check out uh, Bette's in-depth test screen review on Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if she was a bit like, spoilery. Imagine if she was the one who was emailing Anticle News all those, all those times. <laughs> Bette Midler just goes all these test screenings. Um, yes, we're, we're, I thought the trailer looked fine. Um, I still have worries about Rob Marshall. I like Chicago the movie, but everything else he's done since worries me. And there's a real classical... The way that the first Mary Poppins is directed is very classically mm. directed. You know, lots of lockdown cameras, lots of wide shots, lots of, ma- lots of masters. And I feel that Rob Marshall is a director who wants to be seen. 
You know what I mean? And I, that worries me a, a little bit. A little bit. But I think the, the, what the trailer did show was that they were very much trying to get... They were trying to reassure you, I think, with that trailer. They were trying desperately, actually, with that trailer to reassure you that yeah. you, they could be trusted with the original, essentially. They were yes. trying to very much emphasise how like the original it is. And so I hope that there will be a bit more to come and showing any differences. Yeah. And also, we got a glimpse of one of the, the, the new songs. Mm-hmm. From the from the film, and I mean, again, that is a tough act to follow because Mary Poppins is just it's banger after it's like going yeah, to Kylie. It's it is. banger it's after banger like after banger. Jolly Holiday, Let's Go Fly a Kite, the the one with the long name. I mean, there's just <laughs> a spoonful of sugar. There's so many. It's amazing. It is, but I th- that's one area where I'm weirdly not worried. I think I think they've got it. Is Lenny Manny involved with the soundtrack? Or no, it's he's not? Um, Mark Scheiman and okay. his writing partner, whose name I've forgotten, I apologise. But they are good. Yeah. Um, and, and also, I think if they had any worries about the songs at all, they probably would have said to the composer on set, hey, want to take a look at this? And they clearly didn't have to. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm, I have reason to believe that the songs will be fine. Uh, plot does look like it's Christopher Robin, uh, part two, with... Uh, with yes. So the, the, the kids, what are they called? The kids? The, the three what, kids? Michael they're, and... Um, Ma- there's Michael and Jane are the original kids. Yeah. So what are their surnames? The Banks's. Banks. The Banks's, yes. So the Banks kids have grown up and Michael in particular, played by Ben Wishon, his magnificent moustache, has fallen out of love with what drove him in his childhood and then Mary Poppins comes along to sort everything out again. Yes, but with the ad- addition of grief to the family. Oh he's no! Lost his wife. Oh, that's crazy. Is he a banker now? Yes. He started selling subprime mortgages to people. That's his thing. <laughs> well, in the 1930s, I don't think that was a major I mean, issue. you say that, Helen. I do. It's secretly a prequel to The Big Shorts. That's right. I'm all, I'm all over it. Mm, <laughs> sounds good. Uh, yeah, we, we, we hold out hope, absolutely. Indeed. I like the animated bits. I, I, yes. For some reason, stupidly hadn't thought about the fact that they might do more charming, old-school animation stuff, um, but I was really pleased to see that in the trailer. Mm. Yes. Yes, indeed. So that's Mary Poppins returned out of the way. Jimbo, you, you seem... Relatively unmoved by the I mean, thing. I didn't watch it because I don't care. Excellent. Great. <laughs> Let's move on to. Sooner or later, we'll find something you do care about. Um, <laughs> Speaking of which. Oh, God. <laughs> well, no, well, not really because he's not in it. But so, so Fantastic Beasts, The uh-huh. Crimes of Grindelwald. Mm-hmm. Not, in fact, speaking of subprime mortgages, The Crimes of Gringotts, which I think would be a far more interesting film. <laughs> Little goblins flogging subprime mortgages to muggles. But, uh, yeah, so we saw this, which was, I don't know, it made me a little hopeful that this will be more interesting than the last one, which yes, is damning it, with faint praise, but nevertheless. I think, but I think I, I always thought, felt like the last one did so much world building that like anything that followed it had a very good chance of being more interesting, and mm. I, I stand by that. I think we get a lot more sense of the story this time in, in this trailer. It obviously gives away one of the big things that people have been speculating yep, wildly about. No. Um, the big Baby things, Nifflers. The big things that people were speculating wildly about, which was the identity of Claudia Kim's character, who we now know to be Nagini. 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 Yeah, and that kicked off a whole shitstorm on the internet. Well, no, it? because the people have been saying that for literally months. So it was not unexpected. Yeah. What, the, uh, the shitstorm or the revelation? The revelation. So the, the, what we knew about her was she was a maledictor. She was doomed to eventually transform permanently into a beast. So it's not like an animagus. It's not in her control. She will eventually become stuck in this animal form and completely become a beast. And they were being extremely cagey about the name of her character. And she was wearing an outfit which, in, from the first set of pictures we've seen, which seemed res- you know, redolent of snakeskin. So everybody was like, I mean, duh. 
She's mm. obviously. I'd say I didn't make that connection. I haven't been on those corners of the internet. So when that popped up in the trailer, I was like, ooh. Oh, well, yes. Okay. So did, did, does Nagini get killed in the Deathly Hallows? Yes. Yeah, Neville, Neville chops, her, chops head off. her head off. So legitimately, you could go up to her and say, Snake, Snake, I thought you were dead. <laughs> legitimately, yes. <laughs> if you were a time traveller. <laughs> I'd, I'd just like to break for a moment and say that one year at the BAFTAs, Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn came to the BAFTAs and James and Chris were working the red carpet and trying to do all the interviews. This is true. And Kurt Russell got past you, didn't he? Yeah, so he you literally chased down the carpet, <laughs> shouting, snake, snake, I thought you were dead. Yeah, that's actually a thing that happened. And he glanced at me, he gave me a withering glare and then carried on moving. I can't blame him, really. No. Remember the time Alan Rickman came to the Empire Awards and we uh, the, the awards had finished <laughs> yeah. and we were... Uh, he was in the buffet line helping we, himself to salad. We were in the buffet. It was nearly the, the end and it was a very empty buffet room and you and I were just in there decompressing after a pretty busy night. And he came in and he was just kind of mooching around the buffet and neither of us had the, the, the nerve to go up to him. Yeah. Instead, what we did was we just sat there and quoted Hans Gruber lines <laughs> under our breath. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, where are the croutons? You're asking for miracles I give you the salad bar you know it was just like it was a bit like that I, I like to think that you know on the edge of hearing he heard us and just chose to ignore us more morons no extraordinary <laughs> where were we uh, fantastic so, fantastic piece. Piece. so yes. yeah so this this i thought was a, a more promising trailer than the last one i didn't see this one because i have very little interest in this in this film what what's the deppage in this and was the internet uh mm. still angry about it i mean the, the internet is absolutely still angry about it and will remain still angry about it it mm-hmm. was a terrible terrible casting decision to stick with him um someone what if he gives the best performance anyone's ever given in history of motion pictures um, seems unlikely. That, would be, <laughs> that would be a surprise let's see um but uh he he'll be doing well to do it under that um, makeup, I think. Yeah. Uh, if, if I'm honest, but at the same time, you know, he's he gets the the sort of big scary speech, and that was fine, and he escapes, and that was. Fine. I, say, I think the the escape sequence looks like it's going to be a real mm. goody. We see a few extra shots in this trailer from that um, from that sequence. Yeah. That makes it look very exciting. My bigger takeaway from this trailer was I don't understand the plot because it seems to me that Dumbledore has recruited Newt Scamander to be his magical assassin. That's correct. Uh, uh, a man so patently unqualified given that he's an absolute <laughs> fucking idiot and they have professional auras to do this shit. However, J.K. Rowling has since addressed this point on Twitter and said, I could tell you the answer but if I give away the whole story. I think the reason for that is that the the wizarding world is not necessarily perfect and the wizarding world is rather divided on Grindelwald and certainly um, the American wizarding world seems to be well screwed up so mm-hmm. like they have a complete ban on any contact with muggles so there's no winter marriage there's no fraternization there's no nothing and and I think the idea is that the, the London Aurors are similarly compromised to some degree and when you see that scene of Gellert you know, addressing what appears to be a large room. Well, Gellert now, is it? Gellert. Yeah, well, okay. you know, we're, we're mates. We're not mates. Mm. Um, I, I think there's a, there's an element of people are interested in what he has to say. It's the it's the it's the Malfoys, James. You should be you should be. Interested I do in love that. a Malfoy. Well, it's that kind of person, isn't it? So. Did, I, did I tell you, I tell you the story? My Malfoy story that I was in I was in LA at a hotel with a bunch of people, and uh, we'd been at the Harry Potter 
park thing doing okay. the writer stuff and we had been this at the a dinner. sex party no and we were coming down in the lift uh, my friend Kevin was doing his impression of parcel tongue and he was doing it in the lift and the doors opened and I shit you not fucking Tom Felton walked in <laughs> in the middle of it and there's this point where and he walks into the lift and we lose our fucking minds go bright red and just stare at each other just like thrumming with oh my fucking god is this happened and he must have wondered what on earth he walked into as we all go completely silent and freak out that's amazing but yeah so parcel time do it now he might come in who's the most famous person you've ever been in the lift with Ozzy Osbourne I like random uh, Liam Neeson once randomly at the Dorchester how did you fit in um, <laughs> I was in there first so it was really you know did he have the tripod with him but, but I was at the time I was trying to like pull on a boot or retie a boot so I was hopping around on one leg and the door suddenly opens and there's Liam Neeson that was did he help surprising. you with the boot because he uh, I presume that's on his particular set of skills <laughs> it is, it is. I'll help you with your boot <laughs> that's amazing good Liam Neeson solid Ben I don't think I've ever been in a lift with a famous person but I walked past Paul McCartney uh, mm. as I was entering the Soho Hotel and my mind exploded <laughs> and I went into some um, like tech uh, press briefing thing and just didn't concentrate for the entire half hour because I was like I just, that was that was poor it was, did it did yeah. it give you wings he did <laughs> <laughs> yeah how did you that's a music reference from James yeah, yeah. it was pretty surprising it's isn't it it's yeah. a silence <laughs> yeah that was alright uh, I was in a lift once with Tony Bennett uh, at the Four Seasons in LA and he said goodnight to me as he left, which was, was wow. very classy. What a classy what a, guy. What a guy. He knew he was in the presence of greatness, and uh, so he wanted to acknowledge it in some see, way. He was remarks, freaking out the entire time. <laughs> remarks like that are why I think you're a Slytherin. Just, just to be clear. <laughs> he was like, fucking hell, is that guy from that podcast no one listens to that hasn't even happened yet? In the same lift, I had dreadful small talk with Colin Firth. Uh, one time that was that was not good. Were you playing the bumbly Colin Firth part in that I conversation? Was, yeah, I think I was, and he was playing the the assured smooth yeah, <laughs> Colin yeah, Firth who part. Who was being harangued by a moron? Uh, but the best, I, th- th- this is, this did not happen to me, and I cannot remember the person it happened to. But I I, I heard the story from someone who's on the uh, American film writer, who said that he was in a lift once, probably at the Four Seasons in L.A. That's where everything happens, and he got into the lift, and Larry David got in the lift, and it was just him and Larry David. And as the lift went up the floors, this guy, and I'm really sorry I can't remember his name, said to Larry David, I'm thinking of writing the book on awkward celebrity encounters in lifts, and they were elevators because he's American. And Larry David says nothing. And as the elevator begins to ascend, Larry David suddenly turns and pushes him against a wall. <laughs> the lift doors open. He walks out and goes, put that in your book. <laughs> and off he goes. That's like the best thing that's ever happened. That's superb. Yeah, I like it. So Harry Potter then. Um, yes. Wow, this is a tie 45, isn't it? Yeah. This one. Um, wait, wait, let's move on I, to the next trailer. Which is? Uh, Bumblebee. Oh, my God. Is that oh, the next yeah. trailer? Okay. Yes, okay. yes, yes. Dark Phoenix can come later. I'm saying Bumblebee, and I'm going to I'm gonna go to the mattresses for this one. Like, that trailer, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've, been, I've been quietly hopeful about Bumblebee for a while, mm-hmm. and I've said it, I think, a couple of times, that even though, you know, the... I believe I've described them as twisted metal orgies of Michael Bay's films are just dreadful. This, this I thought could be good because Travis Knight's a good filmmaker yeah. and actually a new perspective. Basically anyone in the world who isn't Michael Bay could do something fun with it. And seeing this trailer, this is everything I ever wanted from a Transformers movie. It's the 1980s. All the Transformers, and there are more than one Transformer, it's not just Bumblebee, look like the Transformers I had as a kid. You know, they're the first generation ones. You see original Starscream, Soundwave, Shockwave, Ravage, Wheeljack, all these kind of cool characters. And yeah, I geeked out like 
Massively. And then spoke to Travis Knight about it. And he uh, it reinforced all this. Like, he's, you know, a similar age to me, I think. And again, that's what he loves about Transformers, was all these 80s toys. And that's what this film will be. And I think it will be joyous. I mean, it looks like you might actually be able to tell them apart this time. And that's not just like a glib remark, but the, the designs of those classic cartoon and toys, they're all different colours and different designs yes, and you'll and actually shapes. be able to see rather than just like random shards of metal hooked mm. together. Because they look, by necessity, they look like the thing they transform into because those mm. are the limitations of actual toys. Mm. Whereas Michael Bay's ones, as you say, it's just it's bits of spiky metal and stupid shapes. that mm. They have no real sense of differentiation. That is, I mean, that's true of so especially all the bad guys. Although one of the them Michael did have swinging testicles, so I suppose that's Yeah, that, that was terrible. <laughs> but in fairness to the, the design of those, I think they actually genuinely tried to work out what would be involved and and made that yeah that didn't go so well i just i just want to defend ilm a it's little because bit it's because you've got mates in the effects industry no but also i genuinely think the transformations are the best thing about those films but, like, I mean, the they effects have, they are have by the, far the best oh, thing yes. about those films yeah. Mm. Yeah. i like the first transformers i did it's i just, loved it after yeah. that there's just, it, yeah, they're they're just exercises in endurance and i can't be dealing with it but this looks like it has a certain joie de vivre well the, the thing that the first <laughs> one has is that like that opening hour before all the mad smashy, crashy robot stuff comes in is the sort of uh, teenage boy in his first car, character stuff, and it looks like they're really dialing into that Mm. here. Um, Hayley Steinfeld's super charming. She looks really... uh, That shot um, in the trailer where uh, (laughs) Bumblebee's trying to ruffle all of the um, sand out of her hair and she's like, no, stop it, that's enough. It's it's cute, it's really fun. I great, I really do. Um, And triple changes, there were triple changes, which is exciting. Justin Threw and Angela Bassett play triple changes. Uh, I can't okay. remember the actual names of their of their Decepticons off the top of my head. Pretend but. for a second that the rest of us aren't as super fucking nerdy as you are. What's a triple change? Are you change? pretending you didn't have Blitzwing and Astro Train back I in didn't. the 80s? I had very few Transformers toys growing up. I had Mirage, the F1 car. Mm. That may be it. Okay, well, you were I had to deprived. go around to my friend's house and play with them. All I had were the My Little Ponies. Well, I was quite oh, spoiled, so I had a number of them. Uh, you had all of everything. <laughs> and triple change. Again, we go back to the Slytherin. <laughs> <laughs> father, father, get me an astrotrain. Um, from that commoner, father. <laughs> take it from him, take it. <laughs> throw, him, throw him some money, father. It's a triple changer. <laughs> uh, so the triple changers, as the name implies, changed from three things. Two vehicles and a robot. So astrotrain was a space shuttle, a train and a robot. But the ones in this, one's a helicopter, a car and a robot. And the other one is a plane, a car and a robot. There's a, I mean, that, like, just, a plane is not the same size as a car. It makes no sense. <laughs> a gigantic car. <laughs> it's, just, it's a really big car. I mean, come on, people. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Yeah. But anyway, so Bumblebee, you know, I mean, it's out on Boxing Day, and who honestly the fuck goes to the cinema on Boxing Day? But still. Lots of people. I, Lots of people. I don't understand that. I've never in my life got up on Boxing Day and thought, must go to the cinema. I'm it's usually in, a, like, a turkey coma at that point. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, but where better to do that than at the cinema? Like, yeah. I, I can't get past the front room on Boxing Day. <laughs> How bad must the cinema smell on Boxing Day? <laughs> <laughs> you just open the door and turkey sweat <laughs> just waft out of you. Like, oh, a hint of gravy. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Bumblebee, well done, everyone. Thumbs up. Good job. The final trailer we're going to be talking about <laughs> and in this bite-sized news section is X-Men Dark Phoenix, which, which uh, hit the internet today. I, you know what? I didn't hate this as much as I, I thought I might after Apocalypse. I, like, th- nothing in it really set my world aflame. Uh, but, ironically. Ironically, yeah. yes. But, I, you know, I th- I'm, I'm, in, I'm interested to see it. I like these characters. Although, and we were talking about this a bit before, I, I'm a little bit bored of... 
uh, Magneto and Professor X just monologuing at each other because it's so tedious. And, and something that Magneto literally acknowledges in the trailer. Uh, I just, I, th- I think this should not actually be a Professor X and Magneto story. It, yeah. and, and the problem is that the way they've set this up, it, it kind of has to be. The, the problem is is actually ultimately casting and, and it's an embarrassment of riches that is the problem. Yes. They didn't know Jennifer Lawrence was going to become the biggest star in the world, so they've got Mystique in completely the wrong role in these films, which has become a major problem in Apocalypse, and I imagine it might be a problem here. And similarly, if you've got James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender, you've got to find something for them to do. But then the Phoenix story, instead of being a story about a woman, becomes a story about two dudes. Again, I just... Mm. it's. This whole thing that, oh, it's all Professor X's fault because of blah, blah, blocks in her memory and everything. That's an X3, the last stand notion. We don't need that. This work is interesting, of course, because this film is written and directed by Simon Kinberg, who's long been a producer on the X-Men movies since starting with First Class. But he co-wrote X-Men, the last stand. Um, both Ben and I have interviewed Kimberg recently. Mm-hmm. Ben did it for a trailer breakdown, which is up on the website. Now, by the time the podcast By the time out, you and... listen to this, it'll mm-hmm. be up on the website, so you can go and check that out. I interviewed him recently for the magazine. It'll be out in a couple of weeks' time. And um, he has spoken... In fact, he said this on our Days of Future Passport special, that he essentially, and I'm paraphrasing wildly, mm-hmm. fucked up The Last Stand, and he loves the Dark Phoenix story, and he wants to. he would love the chance to tell it again. So he is... And what interested me about this trailer is that it seems to be hitting many of the same beats as The Last Stand. In fact, you could even call it a quasi-remake. It doesn't have Wolverine in it. Yeah. It doesn't have, you talk about you know, characters being out of proportion. It doesn't have Storm because Halle Berry was a huge star and had to take a lot of the story weight of The Last Stand as well. It doesn't have that cure subplot. Mm. Kimberg has assured me that Sophie Turner, Jean Grey, is the main character in this story, that she gets she has more lines than anyone else, more screen time than anyone else, gets more emotional heavy lifting to do than anyone else, and that hers is the main story. But at the same time, there's Charles suppressing her her powers as a child, which happens in The Last Stand, yeah. and there seems to be, there's, a, there's shots of a funeral, which happens in The Last Stand. We don't know who, the identity of the dead character. Yeah, it's interesting to me. I mean, I guess one of the main points of difference here, other than uh, Wolverine not being around for this one, is that um, uh, Kimberg was quite clear with me that it's going more cosmic. So the, the origins of, of the Phoenix and how Jean kind of becomes the Phoenix uh, is linked to a mission where they're out in space. And that he also told me that Jessica Chastain's character, who we don't know the exact mm-hmm. identity of, she's not a mutant. She she is an alien. She's mm-hmm. an extraterrestrial being. So I guess it's interesting that this is the first time the X-Men films have really gone out there kind of space-wise. Yeah. And I wonder if they feel, obviously, now that they can do that, because of the, some of the groundwork that the MCU has done in taking what we think of as Earthbound superheroes, but then also placing them in a wider, more cosmic uh, universe, that uh, the, the X-Men films are kind of going there now for what is potentially maybe the last kind of Fox X-Men film. Yeah. Yeah. It, it feels that way. I do appreciate the cosmic angle. I think that's probably a good thing, but it still seems to be a Professor X cause mm. thing. So it's a bit weird. I'm not sure how. I mean, obviously, we'll see how that's going to fit together. I do think that they could. This trailer. I mean, I, I applaud it for emphasizing character, which I think is you know something that a lot of superhero movies obviously don't do, especially in a first trailer. But at the same time, I think we needed one shot of something really big. I think I think they could have rushed like an effect shot to show us. Something that gives us an idea of the Phoenix's real sca- skill, uh, scale. Because it feels like she's throwing police cars around. I mean, so what? You know, the last dude leveled 
Cairo. Mm. Uh, there needed to be maybe a, just something a bit bigger. So the the last shot we see in the trailer is um, is Jean and she's kind of phoenixing out a bit. She's got these yeah. kind of white lines on her face. Uh, and I asked Kimberg, is that is that her approaching kind of maximum phoenix? And he was like, no, that is like two or three. On, on the Phoenix scale that they, they're really going to push it out there. So I'm intrigued to see what that is. But I think he mm. was quite clear as well. I kept referring to it as a trailer and he kept referring to it as a teaser. It's um, a teaser. Yeah. It's a teaser. Yeah. It's, so, a teaser. Um, it's, the first, it's the first. Yeah, I guess there'll be um, quite a bit more to come. Do we know anything that. about the chain of events of how it all... I suppose what I'm asking is what is the order of the Phoenix? Oh, God. Oh, God. <sighs> Slytherin. <laughs> <laughs> You've been sitting in silence here for five minutes. <laughs> Trying to come up with that, haven't you? Trying to I make mean, that work. No, but I, it wouldn't be out of character. <laughs> Speaking of which, you saw um, the opportunity. I'm, I'm disappointed that Fassbender isn't going full first class in this because I, I, you know, I want him to be like, "Why Magneto?" and like properly, you know, call me Magneto. Jesus Christ! Look at that. She's turned into a giant bird. And- <laughs> Can I just point out we're going to be dealing with an Irish revenge movie later in the podcast, so y'all should pretty much have some respect because you know some guy might come along and. Is that a threat? Hanging out yeah. a window. Is that a threat? Yeah. Mm. Was, yeah. Wow. Gryffindor no more. <laughs> Gryffindor never. Ravenclaw. Oh, Ravenclaw. Okay, yeah. well, 100 points to Slytherin then. Uh, but yeah, look, one, another very, very quick thing about this uh, X-Men uh, trailer is that this film takes place in 1992. Mm. So they're doing that thing again where they're shifting the films on nine or ten years after the last one. So mm. uh, First Class was 62 uh, Days of Future Past was 73, Apocalypse was 83, and now this is 1992. So what that means is that uh, at some point in the continuity of these movies, and frankly, that's gone out the window a long continuity time ago. Continuity is such a strong word. <laughs> it, it really is. Uh, when it comes to the X-Men movies, continuity is a four-letter word. And that means that Michael Fassbender and James McAvoy have eight years to become Ian McKellen <laughs> and Patrick Stewart. Um, I don't see that happening anytime soon. But it also means that some of these characters are now meant to be in their 40s and 50s. And there's a shot of Ty Sheridan as Cyclops in this movie, and he still looks 12 years old. And I'm not entirely sure that this needed to be the thing that you needed to do for these movies. Not Each movie didn't need to push on nine or ten years. Yeah. That wasn't the selling point. I mean, it, it's one of the things that, that does worry me slightly about this, because, again, I asked Kimberg, obviously, even Gene and Cyclops, they were only introduced in, in Apocalypse, and we saw the, very, the, the start of something there between them. But by this time, because it's nine years on, they're supposed to have this really fully-fledged relationship together, and I really hope that they manage to do a job of, of convincing the audience of that and making the audience feel like the like they have a connection to these two as a couple as well because he seems to think that that is is obviously really central to the to the phoenix story yeah, it should be it should be um and he he said that it is absolutely central to the story but um whether the audience kind of goes along with that when we don't necessarily have that connection yeah. with these actors as these characters who supposedly have this relationship yeah i think that there is that risk absolutely the 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 gap thing is bizarre. It was really bizarre and distracting in the last film yeah. where you had people talking about, oh, he's got so much potential. It's like, well, he's like 34. Like, he should be using his potential yeah. at this point. You know, it was bizarre. Hey, they're, all, they're late bloomers. Apparently. Yeah. Nicholas Holt's character, yeah, who would be in his 50s now. And again, <laughs> he looks like he's 12. Mm. But, you know, I'm hopeful for this one. But I do, yeah, feel, I do feel that this is going to be the last one. I mean, but not, not that Kimberg or Fox wanted to be the last one, but because last week mm. Bob Iger, I think it was Bob Iger, confirmed uh, in a phone call, I think he was doing like a, one of those shareholder phone call yeah. type things that, that, that happens every so often, that, that should 
the I's be dotted and the T's be crossed. That's the right way around. Yes, it is. Uh, on the Disney Fox takeover, then Kevin Feige will be assuming control of the X-Men movies and bringing them into the MCU. Yeah, and th- that does put this film in a really odd position because I feel like you've got a, a lot of slightly more casual fans, but still fans, who are like, well, I hated Apocalypse, so I don't care about this. Yeah. And you have the hardcore fans who are going, well... I just want to see Feige do it. I don't care about this. I think there's a real risk of this falling sort of between the cracks. Mm, it becomes and I irrelevant. hope it doesn't. I hope, yeah, I, yeah. Hope it, I hope it is relevant and I hope it does do the Phoenix story justice because I really want to see that. But, uh, mm. but yeah, there is, there is a real risk. <laughs> we'll see it again in five years' time, the MCU. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. This feels like the last of the X-verse, doesn't it, really? Yeah. I mean, New Mutants aside, this feels like this is going to be the last X-Men film we see until it's completely reimagined as part of the MCU. So, Yeah, ironically, you know. Dark Phoenix could be the last stand of the X-Men oh boy that's a good segue out of this uh, little trailer park that we created for ourselves uh, any other movie news before There's, we move on there are a few things we should discuss M- mostly Birds of Prey for example has finally got some um, casting oh, or good. some war casting which is exciting uh, that was announced last night Mary Elizabeth Winstead will be Huntress mm-hmm. and uh, Journey Smollett Bell will be um, uh, Black Canary mm-hmm which is uh, quite cool casting. I haven't seen m- many of her things before, but she looks cool, so I'm hoping she's awesome. Yeah. And, and she, she beat, apparently, Gugu and Betha Raw to, to get the part. So Yeah, they actually make she, them fight, don't they? Yeah, they do, yeah. As yeah. far as I can so, um, so she must have something, seriously. So uh, that's, that's exciting. So, uh, yeah, um, that's taking shape. Happy Death Day is getting a sequel <laughs> called oh. Happy Death Day to You. Love it. Number two, Love letter it. U, which made me smile yeah. inordinately yesterday. I got stalked by the Happy Death Day baby when I was at the Halloween Horror Nights. It was quite terrifying. <laughs> That's not a good thing. James Wan is producing a remake of Train to Busan. Um, the most important thing you should take away from this story is that you need to see Train to Busan if you haven't already. If it has to be remade, and let's face it, it probably does because it's a great, great concept with fantastic zombies. Um, and, uh, of course, Hollywood wants to get its hands on it. But if if it has to be remade, I think James Wan is not the worst person. So, you know. Uh, just very, very quickly as well, Patrick Stewart uh, took a picture of the writer's room uh, for the Picard TV show, mm. The Return of Sean Le Picard. Uh, James is relevant to your interests. The writers include Kirsten Bayer, the great Michael Chabon. I know. Diandra Pedal- ah. Pendleton Thompson, Emmy nominee James Duff. They're all there. Uh, all looks good, tickety boo. Everyone's everyone's very very <laughs> happy and excited about this. I'm getting into that. <laughs> there is one person in the room who gives me pause: Akiva Goldsman, writer of some of the worst screenplays in the history of Hollywood. Won an Oscar for one of them. <laughs> Chris, Chris, not sitting on the fence there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, he's um, he's still involved with this, like uh, like a turkey fart that won't go away. <laughs> wow. Note to self, never be around Chris when he's eating turkey. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what do you think of this, Jimbo? Uh, you, you, you I, I choose to, be, to keep my, uh, my rose-tinted tricorder on. And, uh, <laughs> That's not a thing. It's not a thing. Uh, I, I don't know the name of Geordie's visor. I was thinking... Is it just a, a visor? I think it's just a visor. Anyway, I, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's Star Trek. It's got Jean-Luc in it. Mm. I mean, really, the work experience person could be writing it and I would still be there to watch it the second it aired. So, <laughs> I would prefer um, the work experience person <laughs> to be writing it to Akiva Goldsman. Oh, it's going to be glorious. Michael Shabon's in there. Come on, people. This is really exciting. Make it so, motherfuckers. 
<laughs> what he said for once. All right, good, good, good. And we're going to finish off with some very, very sad news, which is that the producer of Star Wars and the Empire Strikes Back, Gary Kurtz, passed away this week at the age of 78. And uh, it's very, very fair to say, I think, that without him, Star Wars and the Empire Strikes Back wouldn't be the films that they are or probably wouldn't have had the cultural impact that Absolutely. they did. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. He took so much of the marketing of that first film on himself, like going down to Comic-Con and like trying to, you know, convince fans that this would be an exciting thing. And also, I read a really interesting thing on one of the reasons why the prequels never quite measured up to the originals. I mean, obviously, a lot of factors, but Gary Kurtz was a moderating influence, I think, on George Lucas. He used to push back a lot at some of George's, shall we say, worse instincts. Whereas Rick McCallum, who became his producing partner afterwards, was much more of an agreeable kind of, not a yes man, but he used to let George take the reins and he used to go along with basically whatever he suggested and he didn't so have... a yes man <laughs> yes so in fact he was a yes man I uh, think that's a definition <laughs> Helen, whereas, Helen just did an as lawyer <laughs> whereas Gary very much used to push back and I think really was instrumental in shaping Star Wars into, into what it is so it's, uh, it's very very sad he was instrumental I think in helping focus the idea of the force yeah um, I, was, I was also just going to mention his uh, Dark Crystal work which he was, he was a really really major force in getting that made he even shot, shot some second unit I believe on mm, that yeah. um, and, uh, and that's a phenomenal phenomenal film and, and again that is an unlikely thing to happen to succeed um, it is weird it is dark it is twisted it's and, horrifying and you need a really sympathetic <laughs> producer to get that to happen and I think yeah. it's wonderful that he did yeah, also produced American Graffiti yeah. as well, of course, which is where he and, and Lucas formed that bond. And it's a shame that they fell out on Return of the Jedi. Mm. Uh, Kurtz was one of the ones who really, along with Harrison Ford, wanted Han Solo to die. Didn't happen. It didn't work out that way. Um, they, I don't, they, they never worked together again. I don't know whether they made it up, uh, you know, or or mended the bridges before before uh, Kurtz passed away but uh, it is very very sad indeed he was he was based in England and uh, he would often come to the Empire Awards did anyone meet him did you ever meet him at those things I don't think so no. I, think, I think I did a five minute red yeah. carpet interview with him he was yeah. very nice yeah from uh, everyone I know who's met him says he was a lovely lovely guy and his impact on pop culture uh, is immeasurable so Gary Kurtz who passed away this week Time now for this week's guests. Uh, Sky is currently showing A Discovery of Witches, which is a fantasy romance, I would say, about uh, a witch who falls in love with a vampire. It's happened to us all. <laughs> we've, we've all been there. The witch is played by Teresa Palmer. The vampire is played by Matthew Good. Is fact. he a Matthew Goody or is he a Matthew Baddy? Oh, That's the question. We don't know. We don't know. Uh, ben here went along to talk to them recently and had a great, with an E, time. Enjoy. Also with an E. Really pleased to welcome to the Empire podcast, uh, Teresa Palmer and Matthew Good. Uh, they stars Hello. of A Discovery of Witches. How are you guys doing? Pretty good, I'm Very well, quite... I haven't seen her in months. I know. I you guys so... have just been having a nice little catch-up. Oh, we have, catch up. we have. It's been a while. Yeah. Um, in fact, I was actually on the set of this a couple of months ago, and the last time I saw you, Teresa... You were being dropped down a well repeatedly. Oh, that was a fun That had nothing to do angle. with the job. It just, <laughs> no, it's the crew had had enough. <laughs> yeah, the, the Welsh people took against you oh, uh, no. shooting in Cardiff. Um, yeah, how's everything been since then, since the well dropping Better, incident? better than that. <laughs> um, yeah, no, really, really good. It was beautiful shooting in Wales. We were there for six months. Mm. Did a bit of stunts, hanging upside down. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. Fun. <laughs> I remember there was lots of uh, screaming, lots of kind of hanging you up and hanging. then dropping you and lots then winching you face. back up again. And then yes. repeating the process. Yeah. yeah. A thousand <laughs> the thing times about filming, isn't it? For eight <laughs> hours. Yeah. yeah. So you guys uh, play 
uh, Diana Bishop and Matthew Claremont in the series. Uh, Teresa, your character is a witch. Uh, Matthew, yours is a vampire. This is fancy territory. Are you guys fancy people? Are you genre people? Is that your a world fans. that you guys I mean, in my in? private life. You're fancy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, do you know what? I mean, I suppose I was more as a kid and then... The closest I got to it recently was when my daughter started enjoying Harry Potter and I started getting in, getting a bit more into that world. But it was never really my genre. I was always more into sport than anything else. Um, but it was a joy. I, I don't read many novels these days because I just... Sort of, I have too many children. Yeah. Well, just, well, if you go on holiday, if you ever go on holiday, then I'm, I'm, I'm more like a lifeguard than I am I someone who can sit there and read a book. I, I long it's for the sad. days. So, me too, me too. One day. Yeah, but when you're forced, and I'm forced to read something, it was actually... And I, I really loved it. It was actually yeah. surprisingly moving. Mm-hmm. It's not... Because I think she... She's flipping the genre a little bit on it, not on its head completely, but there's a lot of mythology which is changing. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, I don't have fangs. Yes. Yes. Which yes. Is, and you're, you're around in the daytime. Pale. Yes. I'm you not, are pale. <laughs> but I'm English. You're British. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, so no, it's, it's it's a joy to do something that's quite quite. It, it's it makes a lot more sense when you when you when you read the book and you know you get into it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, did, did you take a lot, Teresa, as well, from, from the books? And Because the books are from Diana's perspective, right? So did you get yeah. a different insight into the character from from that? Yeah, um, they're pretty similar in the show and the books. But definitely I found it very interesting just to get into her head a little more. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, she does the narration in the book. So um, there were a few little nuances and bits and pieces I picked up from that. But an adaptation is going to be different. I mean, the, it is, you know, yeah. people people would be like, who know the novels would be like, how are they going to? Because the first 120 pages, it's basically her going to the Bodleian Library, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and me turning up occasionally. And so it's like, so it's a fascinating read, but you kind of wonder, what's that going to be like on screen? Yeah. It's a bit boring. Right. So they they very cleverly adapted it um, mm-hmm. into yeah. sort of ep- making it sort of episodic and chapters and flipping things. It's quite. It's it's been well done. Mm-hmm. And, and when did you get involved in the project? How did you feel about it when it came to you, especially if you're not from the most like sort of fantasy background? Was this something that changed your mind that you were like, oh, actually, this just sounds something... The minute someone me. said trilogy, I went, great. No, Jane Chanter, who's our producer, who's a force for good in the mm-hmm. world and just a force of nature, actually, um, was brought me in for a discussion and sort of offered me the job, which was brilliant, And but said, I don't want you to read the book. Just read okay. the first couple of episodes. And I read the episodes and thought, this is really interesting and quite fascinating. And he seems like a very strong character. And someone, someone that you can sit in, you know, I think if you do all three books, it's nice to be able to sit in a character for, quite a, for a long yeah. time. Because that, that's rare for us normally. I mean, now it's changing, but it used to be for a while, oh, it's a great book, let's adapt it and put it into a two-hour movie. Yeah. Which, is, yeah. which is, you know, that's what's great about television now, is that you can unfurl the story like you do the chapters of a book. Mm-hmm. And you can take time. So uh, then it was all about who's going to play Diana. And, yeah. uh, and it was pretty, pretty, well, the only person really on the list that we wanted to do the job was Teresa. So we, went, we, had, a, we had to go across and have a, a chemistry, a chemistry oh, really? meeting. Yeah, <laughs> that was funny. Yes. And the casting director was like, guys, I, it's great that you get on really well and you're joking around, but we do actually have to do film some, work, some scenes. Right? Um, so yeah, straight off the bat, we... You were chatting about yeah. life and parenting and all the things. It's just that also England and Australia is pretty, you know... Similar sense of humour. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not Soft at the beginning, obviously, we sent you on to your own island, but now, now, <laughs> now it works out but really But now well. we can all laugh about yeah, it. It's no, fine. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's a big joke. No reparations, <laughs> great. Over, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that first time you guys met each other, that must have been... Because one thing that was really apparent coming on the set was 
that like even while we were doing our like big interview and stuff, um, that you guys were just just. You can couldn't shut like up. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. We got into trouble sometimes. <laughs> um, it was it was really great. Straight from the, the start. Well, yeah. It's kind of rare in its own way as well because you know those things are either going to go one way or the other. It's either going to be a bit serious and crap, or <laughs> you know, in, in a chemistry read, or it's going to be. Uh, he was. was a goofball, and that was that was great for me. And we could yes. we could take the material, and um, even though we both really respected it, we could also poke fun at the fact that he was a vampire, I was a witch, and we were <laughs> falling in love. And we just made it was lighthearted, and there was a great camaraderie between us, and um, and it was good. It, it felt like that with the whole cast as well. I think it was just really beautifully done just all of the the pieces of the different people and our cast and crew and the producers it just it was a a wonderful family and so it made that the six months of filming really enjoyable and Mm -hmm. uh, i think we all did our very best because we were just having such a good time together well (laughs) not you you're incredibly positive (laughs) i bring the cynical we're the yin and yang yes you're the dark part i'm just kidding it's true you're the earth mother and there's not been a word created for what i am yet (laughs) yeah did did your uh did your goofball side did that tip over into sort of antics and shenanigans (laughs) for the rest of the cast no it was yeah I guess I mean also when you're doing stuff that's quite dark you try and keep it fairly light when it's not rolling Mm -hmm. um but we, had, we did have, like, the depth of the cast was brilliant as well. And we did get, to, you know, filming in Oxford is always an honour, really. Mm-hmm. It's such a beautiful place. And uh, I, I, we didn't get to go to Venice, which was a shame. I oh, know. But yeah, the other cast that. did. Uh, mm-hmm. I hear it was as beautiful as it, as it was left. Um, yes, good. Uh, yeah, and, you know, we've got Lindsay Duncan. Like, I was asked, who, who would you like to play your mother? And I thought, Lindsay Duncan would be pretty cool. Because she's with my agent. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, they'll never get her. Being, yeah. being cynical, obviously, as I am, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and luckily it worked out. And so there were just we had Trevor Eve and uh, like the younger cast, Ed Blimel, who just I just oh, I just adore Aisha Hart. Show as well. Yep, and our fav- our favourite Welshman. Oh yeah. Yeah, do you want to name him? Nah. No. <laughs> you who's, who's your favourite Welshman? Well, I mean, you, I mean, you no, we love Mister Owen. Yeah. Owen Teal. Positively glowing. Um, you're Game of Thrones fan? Yeah, I you am. Are. But I'm one of those people that I only you know just I about keep track of all the yeah. character names, let alone like who's playing. I actually haven't who. seen it. I know he's oh, okay. a big deal because whenever we do press with him, mm-hmm. we get followed by hordes of Game of Thrones right. fans. Gamers. Um, gamers, <laughs> yeah. That's actually Thrones. what they are. Yes. They're, they're the gamers. Mm-hmm. Um, we were at uh, Comic-Con <laughs> recently and there was just like... A massive people. Mm-hmm. Very excited to be around him, but he's he's brilliant. He's who is, so is he da- Is he Davos? No, who, I who don't does know. He play? I don't know the show. I don't know the show either. I think he's the bad guy. Does anyone else know? I mean, there's a no? few. There's some real bad people in that. It's in one of the bad guys. Universe. Well, the guys I know. I know we're talking about. No, it doesn't even mention. It doesn't even. Owen Teal, you'll Owen know. Teal. Owen Teal. Google yeah. him, you'll see his face. Everyone listening to this now will be googling it. Oh, oh, right. oh him, <laughs> that guy. I've seen his face and his bottom. If, <laughs> if, if Game of Thrones has anything to do with it, from yeah, what I know yeah. about it, they're all naked. Yeah, everyone's show. naked. <laughs> Not in our show. It's very PG. They only have their clothes on so, when they die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and not even. <laughs> anyway, next question. <laughs> <laughs> you, you were talking, so you, you missed the Venice trip, which oh, we did. sounds like such yeah, a shame. Yeah. We, went, well, we, we went, we flew to Venice, and then we, we turned right, and then yeah, we, we went, we to, went yeah, to my we, castle. Where, yeah, right. Yeah. What, where were we again? That uh, was a fun... So, I don't know what the name of the village was. I remember buying a couple of trinkets uh, with your cash. I know. <laughs> <for my kids. laughs> I know. <laughs> In the square, because there's oh. no money. 
Um, that was fun. But it was a beautiful place. We stayed place. in that spa um, hotel. We had a volcanic dip but yeah, every night. Really cool. What's a volcanic dip? Like well, it hot had springs hot spring hotel. Ooh. And it had a hot spring swimming nice. pool. I mean, literally like being poached uh, every yeah. evening. But it was... So you'd be, it was very misty. And so you'd sort of come out. We, we'd finished work and about 10 o'clock we'd mm-hmm. you'd intrepidly go through the mist. Um, yeah. and then you, but then you'd see people making out you're like oh I don't want to go down there Ooh, this, yeah, this, they're this, having a moment yeah. Yeah. it's quite romance quite exactly. Ibiza down that end um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah how's that as like a cast bonding experience to all just go in a hot spring yeah yeah, yeah it was fine yeah you'd see the crew in there hey, <laughs> yeah. like your first AD and it was quite interesting quite hairy the Welsh so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of hair god yeah. knows what the filter was like in the morning in the pool uh, everyone, everyone had a good laugh. Um, we all hung out. We yeah, all hung out. It was a long six months. It was, that was... It was a brutal winter. It was oh, brutal. Well, I was in, I was in Cardiff for, for one cold. day, yeah. and had just a small walk through the city to just to get a coffee. And it was beautiful, but it was so rainy it was and freezing. so cold. Yeah. How did you? How did you? Well, it's a culture shock. I mean, yeah. you were such a trooper. That's the great thing about Teresa. You could throw her anywhere in the world; she'll get on with it. That's, and I really mean that because you had your two kids, and your husband was away for a lot of time. Yeah, and nanny. But the single. minute you finished work, you got to finish. Like, take them home, get them done, breastfeeding, learning your lines, coming back in at five in the morning. Yeah. You were, you that never complained. Brutal. It, it you left was that brutal. To me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you were you were the great complaint. source of joy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was since I finished the experience I was like wow I really was like going through it um you know I'll have more help this time around but my you know my kid I totally relocated there I brought my family there my husband to a house was that made no sense working, yeah, I ended up renting a house in the middle of nowhere oh, really? it looked really pretty in the pictures but it was like 45 Just minutes away, away from work in the middle of nowhere no. and we would get snowed in and I'd have to trudge to the main road to get picked up with the kids on my back so it yeah, was would you mind bringing can you can you get everyone from your life so you want me to to carry my two kids whilst breastfeeding two miles down through through the snow to the for car. my 5am pick if up that's in the all morning. right yes um so you know i i didn't i didn't choose wisely <laughs> that's what airbnb doesn't show you i know exactly oh, yeah. snowed in and... so now i know i know where i'm gonna live for next season Swansea. um and my <laughs> yeah, right next door to where we film um and you know my son was going to school there at a montessori school so I really immersed myself into the card of culture and I've, I fell in love with it. I think because we were all together, we just we made the best of Car's it, cool, made yeah. it a little adventure. Yeah, and we enjoy being in Cardiff. House Hobbs will travel. Yes, yes, I will. <laughs> yeah. Bingo lingo. Bingo lingo. We, we had a few nights of bingo lingo, Ooh. which is very fun, very local you to haven't Cardiff. Lived. Is that like traditional bingo or is that like it's like bingo? Bingo, <laughs> I, I would say bingo not. and booze and <laughs> a lot of music mm-hmm. and dancing and you'd go out with the crew. And, it and was, the occasional gunging. Um, yeah, oh gunging. yeah. Our, yeah. Our, our camera operator, gunged? no, our camera operator did. Mm-hmm. He had full green slime Ooh. dumped on top of him. Utterly thrilled um, about that. Yeah. <laughs> It yes. was great. I have that on video. Especially, I guess, after that, then when you've got to walk <laughs> yes, through Cardiff, cool. like in the freezing cold, covered in slimy slime. Green. Yeah, lucky for him, he was the one that got picked. His apartment was across mm-hmm. the street, so he could go and change. And then his jacket got stolen that night with his phone and wallet. It was oh, just no. a bad night for him in general. So, but yeah, he's a handsome lad, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> some of the crew. Got, he had a good some night. Some of the crew got to find out about that, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> Yeah, let's find the positives. This is unlike you. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I'm really enjoying it because um, so you guys filmed this at the new Bad Wolf Studios in Cardiff, which are huge, which are massive, and they there's are loads massive. of big productions. There. In fact, they're shooting his dark materials there now, and it That's means right. that all these 
A-listers are basically coming to get the full Cardiff experience for several months while people are shooting these shows. Yeah, yeah. Like Lin-Manuel Miranda, the Hamilton guy, is there at the moment. He keeps posting videos with his wife being terrified driving through country lanes. Oh, yeah, the country lanes. Survival advice for people. Man, I wouldn't even drive in the country. I I couldn't do it because there'll be a whole mile stretch of a tiny, teeny, tiny road. And Mm -hmm. if you start heading down and a truck comes towards you, you're screwed. Um, I I don't know. Survival. Isn't that scary though? Find all the best vegan restaurants in Cardiff. There Mm -hmm. are amazing ones there. I was very impressed. I don't know. Cardiff doesn't need to be survived. Cardiff is no um, Newport does, but Cardiff, <laughs> Cardiff's fine. Cardiff, we we really enjoy it. <laughs> I, I did anyway. Yeah, you were sort of out of Cardiff. I, you weren't really in the city. I took myself away to like a from golf the, from the playground. He wanted to golf at Ooh. all times in between mm-hmm. setups. Right. So I'm that cool. Um, he, he's that cool. <laughs> but so also, you were far away. I was well. Yeah, I was. I was like. I was like. <laughs> you were. You were further than you were I was. Forty minutes one direction. I was forty minutes the, in other. the other. Yeah. But I quite like that in the morning because it gives you a bit of time to just get your head on. Like get your lines, you know, get where you're going at during the day. Sometimes I always had a kid in my car, though. So That's true. Just, I was always and playing. I left mine at home. <laughs> yes, you did. I know. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> Tips for next time. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Matthew. I've got a really dumb question to ask you that Please? I've never had the chance to ask anyone before. So your character name in the show is also Matthew. Is that really? Is that? A help or is that a hindrance? Is that like an annoying thing on set that if someone says Matthew and you like to be good? Me, question, not dumb question. Okay. I mean, I mean, ultimately, in those days when you're not necessarily with it, um, you're probably still turn. And mm-hmm. whereas if someone's calling you Adam, you might, you know, and you're just away with the fairies, then you know, mm-hmm. um, it might not work so well. I, I don't really think about it that much. Uh, it was the vampire stuff that was tough, yeah, uh, not the name. Um, but yeah you had that down pat down pat it was a vampire yeah, from she day a, one she has a very good impression her impression makes it like all I ever do is this <laughs> <laughs> he had the face he had the voice he like dropped his voice like an octave lower and he's done that's all he has to do I think, I think everyone did that though I think that's the thing I think everyone had the same yeah, interpretation yeah did say that as well like yeah, she just like, dropped her voice obviously lower. I've done my homework but really and truly it'll just look like I'm doing a low voice and being, so, being a bit slower than I would normally <laughs> I mean, you, you basically, Which is in true. every sense but the literal sense, you pretty much played a vampire in, in Stoker in the Park Chan-wook film. No, not like, really. Oh, wait, he, but that, the style Similar of that vibes. character, he's very, he's quiet and Stoic. mysterious and he's in the background. Are you saying this? this I I'm just, I'm just, just phoning in the same performance. No, no, no. But I, 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 I could, I could see I? it when I knew that I was coming on. Creepy. <laughs> <laughs> he, he does a creepy great. No, that was great fun, that job. Yeah. yeah, yeah I also like to work with him because I'm a massive fan of the movie and of his films as well. What's he like? to work with oh, just the joy and also I got it it's, you know but also you were working with a translator and he's very very quiet very hushed mm-hmm. and uh, and you sort of have to get used to who do I look at when, when you're speaking and then you get over that fairly quickly but I, I find it um, really soothing the Korean language as well so you'd just be I'd be off with the, you know off with the fairies mm-hmm. very relaxing but he's he's, he's so his ability, he like he looks at the smallest things. So he's like, "We're not filming today in this room. I'm changing the scenes because the walls are not yet the same colour as this egg." And you're like, <laughs> and you're like "Wow, okay, cool." <laughs> I don't know what to say, That's but you're funny. cool. Um, but he's yeah, the, one of the most brilliant directors I will probably ever work with. It's a shame that no one saw the film. <laughs> I did. I know, but it, it, was, it was yeah, it was, it was, it was fantastic. shame that. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, these things, they always have a life on, on DVD and Netflix yeah. and, and beyond. Yeah. And, uh, Teresa, I wanted to ask you about a director you've worked with, which is Kate Shortland, who you were talking with uh, for Berlin. Somers- she she did a somersault once you were there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as well as that film. Good one. Thank she's you. kind of attached to the, the Marvel Black Widow film. I know, and I could not be happier for her. I have. Give me a part. Yeah, pretty much. I was like, isn't there a sister role in that? Um yeah, no, she. I've got my figure back after the babies. Yeah, yeah. Hello? Hi, Thomas. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, she's oh, she's such a brilliant filmmaker, and she's also a really good person. I think the way she sees the world is in such a different and, and very fascinating way. Mm-hmm. She still sees the beauty in the tiny, mundane things that we kind of look over, and um, I think she's a perfect choice to play that role. And I uh, to play obviously to direct that film um i, I, like I reached out to her yeah. <laughs> yeah. she's amazing yeah she's taking over from scarlet um <laughs> she yeah she's just i i can understand why mm-hmm. they chose her to to do that and i just reached out to her and i said i'm so excited for you and, and did you slip in the can i have a role is that a world that you're um, interested in i, do you I will i'm waiting for the perfect time mm-hmm. uh, I, I thought the first congratulatory email yeah. was important wait a few months and, and then, then you slip follow it in up. The, follow it up yeah. with a ps give me a role mm-hmm. please yeah and and matthew in, in your future Downton Abbey film is coming back you it sounds like you're coming back for it as well i read this and on the internet but in a in a smaller role. But have you have it, you kind of caught up with the cast? It was always a small role. Uh, <laughs> it was uh, yeah. It, I, apparently, I came out the other day and said that I was going to be in it, which I shouldn't have done. So I can't say that anymore. So what I will say is that I might be in it. But it is definitely. And it might be at the very end. And it might be at the very end. <laughs> I read that you to be in it. Are you looking forward to catching up with everyone again? Because that last season, it must have been quite a. It'll a be a fun three days thing. of filming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. um, and one thing that you won't be back to is is the crown because of the whole turnover in the cast. I know, just as it gets Emmy good. I know. Oh, very kind. Um, just proud. yeah, no, that that was that was really fun to do, and yeah. um, I have no doubt. I mean, it's a big thing for them to recast every role, and mm. to you know, because <clears throat> they'll do it brilliantly. The people who are doing pieces, Peter's writing, and the the, the actors and actresses they've got are or just actors these days. The actors yes. that they have okay, are right. sensational. So it's just whether the audience can accept it. I'm yeah. sure. I'm I mean, sure have, have you spoken to Ben Daniels? I, do you know, I know him through a friend, but, I, I, but, you know, I haven't. I'm not really, you know. Good luck. Uh, what do you say? But, he, I mean, I saw the photograph of him but as with the camera the other day and with his piercing blue eyes, and I was mm-hmm. like, God, he looks better than I did. <laughs> um, and he's going to go, I know there's, there's some scenes that I spoke to Peter Morgan, just in case anyone's listening to this, and he was saying, I've just written these amazing, like, arguments uh, between the two of them, I was like, "Well, I'm thrilled for the next guy." Yeah. <laughs> but they'll be, Thanks, they'll be great. They'll be great. Amazing. And well, Ben Caron, who's directing, is superb. Mm-hmm. So it's in safe hands. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, guys. It's thank been lovely you. to have you. On the show. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, that was Matthew Good and Teresa Palmer. Uh, time now to talk about this week's big releases on the big screen. And Helen, you mentioned an Irish refringe drama earlier on. That is Black Forty Seven. Yeah. Take it away. It's- Always bet on black. In this case, yes, it's set during the uh, Great Famine uh, in 1847 in Ireland and uh, a young man who's been serving in the British Army, controversially, uh, comes home to find that his mother has starved to death, his brother has been hanged for trying to steal food and his uh, sister-in-law and and nephews and nieces are on the verge of also um, being kicked out of their house and dying. So... um, he falls out with the local authorities, yeah. uh, it's fair to say, and uh, and then goes to, uh, on a quest to right things. 
basically. It is a bit of a, an Irish wish fulfillment uh, film, this, obviously, because the English are awful. And um, they, this was an entirely man-made famine or at least not entirely, but mostly, man-made famine. Ireland was exporting food the entire length of the famine, um, which left a quarter of the population dead or gone forever. And uh, so it is an incredibly traumatic background and therefore it is incredibly satisfying to see someone kill people who did it because that's basically what this film is. But it is essentially, even leaving aside the political element, this is just a really good revenge thriller it's like a gaelic walking tall isn't it like he comes back yeah. from the army and then starts beating the living shit out of everyone like jack reacher uh yeah. it's oh, yeah it's I a really western liked it. it is it's an irish western. i mean it's in connemara so that's west yeah, so, yeah. well quite no i enjoyed it. i also thought uh is it james freshville is it that plays keeney he's yeah. the lead in it he does the most extraordinary pad bear stare of any man i've ever seen that just flat stare yeah you do not want to mess yeah he's he's pretty pretty uh formidable yeah it's i mean it's quite bleak but then it does become as you say it becomes a little bit he has a very particular set of skills and he you know (laughs) employs it to just take everyone down we should also mention of course some of the other people in it um because hugo Hugo weaving Weaving is um the uh british soldier who's kind of the hunter tracker Mm. who's brought in to find him and stop him which is um going to be tough for both of them Uh, it's not gonna be fun uh you've got (laughs) seamus ray uh, i'm sorry stephen ray as the um as the guide sort of almost comic relief, and Freddie Fox as the most hissable yeah. Englishman in Freddie Fox, in history. Who, who plays the embodiment of everything that's wrong with public schools. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, but also you've got... To see, was, this, was this made a while ago? Because uh, Barry Kjergen's in it, and yeah. looks mm. really young. Like, he looks at least five years younger than he did in American Animals. And uh, I'm not sure when this was made. I think it was made fairly recently. Really? I don't think he he's, looks maybe very he's different just, to he's me. Got excellent makeup artist on yeah, that show. maybe. So, despite Helen's uh, wild praise, it, we we gave this just three stars. But hey, as we always say in the Empire Podcast, three stars is a recommendation. So go and check it out. Not a hate we, crime. Yeah, Not we, a hate crime. We, uh, so we exported the fourth star instead of using it. Next up, we have Skate Kitchen. Benny Boy. Yeah, this is the new film by Crystal Moselle, who uh, she's previously mainly done uh, documentary work. Her last film was The Wolf Pack. Uh, this kind of blurs the lines between documentary and uh, fiction. So it's uh, about... A group of uh, female skaters in New York who are called the Skate Kitchen, and in real life they are a group of skaters called the Skate Kitchen. <laughs> uh, she found, she kind of came across the idea when she met uh, Rochelle Vinberg and uh, Nina Moran on a subway. They were with their skateboards, they were talking about shooting the shit together, really, and she saw them and saw potential in this idea. Uh, and so you get Rochelle Vinberg uh, playing Camille, who is a, uh, a young teen skater living outside of Manhattan. I think she's on Long, Long Island. Island yeah. And she, at the start of the film, she injures herself uh, trying to do a skate trick. And her mum kind of freaks out and takes her board away and says, you need to stop skateboarding because you're going to injure yourself. Uh, but she sees uh, the skate kitchen on Instagram. And when they have like a sort of group meetup, uh, she sneaks out of the house with her board and uh, goes to join them. And basically, it's just a lovely coming of age film about women and skateboarding and friendship and companionship and then a little bit later on you get uh, Jaden Smith coming in as a boy who kind of takes a skater Camille's, boy a skater boy <laughs> and she doesn't say see you later boy uh, uh, yeah Camille kind of finds, finds herself drawn towards him um, I just thought this was if you like coming of age films uh, and Love them. you like 
skateboarding this the boarding in this is like beautifully shot it's mm. amazing you strike me as someone who's never been on a skateboard i have a grew up in the 90s yeah i know but i mean still. i mainly like sat on it and rolled down a hill rather than <laughs> actually don't. standing up i just don't um, picture you gleaming the cube or anything you know gleaming the cube is that you're just so young um do you not remember gleaming the cube no this was a skateboarding film with christian slater from the 80s i see well i'm gonna track that down because this was great i'm really looking forward to mid 90s the jonah hill film which yes. is also kind of indie skating drama mm-hmm. um a couple of standouts here for me mm. um, Nina Moran who's one of the other kind of founding members of the group um, she plays Kurt and she is just like endlessly charming and hilarious in this and Dee Dee Lovelace who plays Janae one of the other uh, members of the group she kind of gets quite a lot of the dramatic weight of this and she carries it really well considering they're not kind of trained actors yeah. in any sense but no yeah, it's, it's really this. well put together cool cute film four stars in for Skate Kitchen and uh, Jimbo Yes. Night School's up next, and this team's Kevin Hart with Tiffany Haddish. I know, as do you, as both of us went down to see this to our peril last night. Yes, this is a Kevin Hart film, and that may be all you need to know. He is a high school dropout who loses his job and finds that he needs to get his GED, go back to high school, high school and graduate so that he can get another job. Uh, Tiffany Haddish stars as his sort of shouty teacher, and hilarity ensues. Does as, it, though? Not really, no. <laughs> Does it, no, no, no. It's. I mean, this is one of those things where if you like Kevin Hart, you might enjoy him in it. I, 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 I give him a certain amount of leeway because I really, really loved him in Jumanji. So uh, I have not enjoyed I, him in anything else, but I, I really like liked him in that. I like him. I think um, he's very he fun. has a certain amount of charisma to him, and and he uses that I think to carry this film to an extent. The problem is, it's very, very lazy, very lazily scripted. Uh, a lot of it is improvised. You can just see the joints where they've done multiple takes and just stitched together different things they've done with it. Yeah. And some of the jokes do kind of land and some of the jokes really fantastically don't uh, and the story just kind of meanders around and seems slightly incidental to the performances um, it's yeah. not particularly enjoyable yeah it's one of those movies where characters just disappear the, yeah. without warning so Ben Schwartz uh, Sean Ralphio on uh, Parks and Recreation <laughs> yeah. is his best friend and he just disappears in the story for like a good mm-hmm. hour and then they remember oh yeah we've got this really funny guy we should, we should use him but not allow him to be funny and this movie is going to be sold on the chemistry between Kevin Hart and Tiffany Haddish, who, of yeah. course, shot to fame with Girls Trip, uh, which I thought was fantastic, and she was mm. amazing in it. And that that film has the same director, Malcolm D. Lee, and this is his follow-up to that. And I had relatively high hopes going into it. I, I remember laughing the trailer when it came out a, a few months ago. I was slightly disappointed by this, to be honest. I think it is a fairly lazy film, and the chemistry between the two of them doesn't really no, work because they, their styles are really the same. I don't think that really works. They don't really mesh, but they both have funny moments. And uh, you know, a famous movie doctor who who likes to witter on about entertainment has a rule about comedies. And if I think it's if you laugh six times, it passes muster. And I laughed more than six times at this. How uh, did I react during this film? You Chris? laughed twice, James. And I don't think <laughs> either of those could be even classed as laughs. It was more of a s- slight half smile. Yeah. Every now, every now and again, you just gave me a signal that you were still alive, <laughs> and that was fine. That's okay. At our age, is what we have to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this was a, a disappointment for me. Uh, we have not reviewed this yet at the time of recording, so the Empire Review's not up yet, but if this is more than two stars, I would yeah, be amazed. It's going to get a one or a two. I think, it, a for one me, would be really harsh. between the two, it probably scrapes a two, but it isn't great. It does scrape a two, because there are people in it who are really funny. Uh, Kevin Hart's funny from time to time. Tiffany Haddish is funny from time to time. Rob Regal's funny from time to time. Al Madrigal, who yes. looks a lot like <laughs> Zach Braff. Braff. <laughs> Amazingly, <laughs> yeah. uh, is very funny as well. Know. So, this podcast is being edited today, so I, I want even know what the score is before this podcast goes up so here we go let's hedge our bets shall we so 
Night school there, and sadly that got just one star. Night school there, and we gave that two stars. So there we go, that was Night School, and we gave that three stars, which we always say in the podcast is a recommendation. And Night School, astonishingly, got five stars from Empire Magazine. Five stars, and our reviewer loved it, loved every (laughs) second of it, thought it was the best film they'd ever seen. So five stars, four stars, three stars, two stars, and one star land for Night School. And sadly... None of us have seen, at the time of recording, I'm seeing it tonight, The Wife. The Wife? Uh, which... No, please. Please, no. <laughs> please leave that in. Please leave that in. Which is... <laughs> the Wife. Uh, glorious comedy make benefit for the people of Kazakhstan. No, it's... Um, this is... Glenn Close and Jonathan Price, and she is the wife of a beloved writer, uh, an esteemed writer, and but he is a very cold man and he has his secrets and she never gets the limelight and she never gets the the love that she deserves. And she is the, the, the backbone of his career professionally and personally. And so it's about her finally deciding that, screw it, I'm going to, mm. yeah, I'm mad book. as hell, I'm not going to take it anymore. It's based on the book. Okay. It's a good book, yeah. Good, excellent. By, by whom? I forget. The, the writer of The Wife. <laughs> the writer of The Wife. Um, I think it's Meg, but I forget her. Sorry, the Meg. Sorry. The Meg oh, wrote Lord. this. That's astonishing. And uh, so this is this is driven by a powerhouse performance from Glenn Close. Apparently Jonathan Price also, uh, also good. But this is one may well be in contention for an Oscar this year. Uh, I think it says in our review that it could be her seventh Oscar nomination. She's been nominated six times, but never quite got it. So this could be a another Oscar-worthy... So you're saying she's come close? Why do we allow him? <laughs> wow. Four stars in for the wife, so check it out this week. And that's it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun, where we'll be joined by a double whammy of directorial goodness. We'll be joined by Paul Greengrass, director Ooh. of 22 July. That's how he announced it to me. we will, or you will have seen... Venom, 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 Venom. <laughs> <laughs> Surprisingly, we don't have anyone from Venom on the podcast. <laughs> the symbiote will be here. <laughs> I can't imagine why. This movie that we have pinyatted repeatedly over the last six to eight what months. What if it's absolutely incredible? <laughs> yeah, that's the end of show films are incredible six hours before they open. In fairness, they sometimes do. They sometimes do, but that's usually for plot reasons and there may be uh, there, there may, may be, a, be plot. a huge plot reason here. <laughs> there may be a plot the plot <laughs> the plot was and it turned out to be okay look exactly that could be the great because we we said over and over all these good people are signing on for this film yes. it must There's have something what possible reason could they have <laughs> money 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 <laughs> a hamel ton of cash what have they got paid in those Lin-Manuel Miranda notes? <laughs> <laughs> they only find out now. Yeah, it's too late. <laughs> Michelle Williams goes to her, her money cave, which I assume all famous people have in their houses. They have money caves. And she goes, right, well, now that film's out. Time to spend some of my venom dosh. And she opens up the briefcase with like, the, the $1 million. And, and it's just Lin-Manuel Miranda's <laughs> face. The golden light hits her face. Do you think they do, like in Breaking, Breaking Bad, where it's just on a pallet and they just lie back on it and do snow angels in the cash? <laughs> yeah, it's full Go on full indecent sc- proposal. Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> But that would probably work in Beverly Hills, right? You go into a boutique in Beverly Hills and you're paying $10,000 for something. I mean, just like a belt, probably. Yeah, a belt. Yeah. And you just pull out the Lin-Manuel Miranda notes and they go, that would be acceptable. There are certain yes. parts of New York, I'm pretty sure, where that would be legal tender. 
Do you get the changing for Robert Lopez uh, currency? <laughs> is it? That was a Broadway musical Broadway composer's joke. joke there. That's oh. fairly inside baseball. But anyway, let's, let's move on. We're also going to be joined on the podcast by Damien Chazelle. So that's a lot of fun, isn't it? Yay. Will he, will he, I, go, will he be the first man on the podcast? <laughs> See, <laughs> if I'm not allowed to do it. <laughs> but you do, so... Again, Helen, I must deduct 100 points from Ravenclaw. <laughs> 10 right. points for Slytherin. <laughs> now we'll make it up on finals, it's fine. That is such a Slytherin thing to do, to, to just award yourself points. <laughs> See, this was the whole problem with the house system in Harry Potter, that they'd lose a point here and a point there, but then at the end of the series, because they've saved Hogwarts, it'd be like 100 points to Gryffindor! Hooray! I love that Dumbledore does it for the drama as well. He puts up all the banners of the house that's supposed to have won, yeah. and then at the last minute it's like, hey, he's like, yoink, bait and switch! Yeah. Psych! He was such a prick. I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad he's dead. What a twat. Yeah. Screw Dumbledore. Oh my God. We have just lost every single listener under 35. Not the yeah. Slytherins. Yeah. Until that auspicious occasion, until we meet again next week, it is goodbye from James Dyer. Goodbye. It is goodbye from Ben. Hmm. Wish on. Wait, hang on. I've got it. It's goodbye from Ben. Travelers checks. Travis. <laughs> Goodbye. He doesn't know what those are. No, oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> In the like olden days. Money slip. <laughs> like a money, like money like slip. A money yes. slip. That's right, that you keep in your fanny pack. Uh, and it's goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Totally. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to watch the trailer for Creed 2, which we didn't talk about. Oh, but we, we should have, because I'm really looking forward to that film. So I must break you. Yes. Yay for Creed 2. Yay. Uh, thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs> 